Hey, this is Blaine from Seattle. You might remember me from The Accused, The Farts, Toe Tag, The Black Nasty. You're listening to KFMP, Misery Point Radio. Wanderers, thanks for joining me again on Misery Point Radio. Appreciate you slogging through the lifeless zone to dull your pain with me here in the wasteland. I know I always say that, but it's true. I do get lonely. Misery loves company, right? And today, my imaginary friends, we're going to do some time traveling, Bill and Ted style, and chat with a historical figure, a true musical icon from right here in the Pacific Northwest, because, you know, I'm doing my best to represent whenever possible. And in this case, the stars did, in fact, align, or, you know, some cosmic shit like that. Whatevs. Today's guest is Blaine Cook, one of the founding members of the Seattle extreme music scene, going back to the early 80s with the farts, and, of course, also with legendary splatter gods The Accused. Blaine was awesome enough to indulge me with a trip through his musical journeys, so we of course talked a lot of history, and it was awesome to be able to hear firsthand about his entry into the Seattle music scene, his transition from the farts to the accused, the evolution of the accused into one of the frontrunners in the crossover scene, as well as his current projects Toe Tag and the Accused AD. And to top off the awesome pie with an extra side of creamy splatter sauce, I also got the skinny on his stint with Florida-based metal act Denial Fiend, of which I am, of course, also a fan. We also discussed some non-musical awesomeness, such as his epic landmark burger joint, the reality of being a business owner, his awesome cooking shows, and what he's got planned for the immediate future. This is an awesome conversation that I'm excited to share with you, and it runs a little longer than normal, but I'm sure you won't mind. There's a ton of cool stuff in here. Some of you may know all the stories, some of you may not. So regardless of your familiarity with Blaine and his career, there really is some tasty tidbits of awesomeness for everyone to enjoy. So put on that Martha Splatterhead shirt, grab yourself a Zip Burger, and check out this recent combo with the Sultan of Splatter Rock. Here we go. All right, Minions, welcome back. You picked a great day to tune in because I am hanging out here with a true metal OG, perhaps one of the most legendary and imitated vocalists ever to come out of the Seattle area. And if that wasn't enough, he's also got a badass burger joint, and he does some killer YouTube videos, doing some cooking, doing some bartending, some crazy shenanigans. And uh, I am, of course, talking about the one and only frontman for the accused, accused AD, toe tag farts, and a million other projects you may or may not have heard of. So please welcome to the show, Mr. Blaine Cook. Blaine, thank you so much, brother, for hanging out. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, this is super cool. I appreciate you taking the time to, to hang out today. I know that you got a lot going on. Um, I, of course, am making a huge effort this year to talk to more local people. As the last couple of years, I've been doing a lot of international and kind of worldwide stuff. And I'm like, you know what? I'm right here in the Pacific Northwest. Haven't had an opportunity to talk to people. So this is really cool that uh, this element of the show is really kind of coming back to what its its origin story was. And uh, you yourself have been around here in the scene for such a long time. Uh, I'm, I'm glad that we were able to make this happen. Yeah, thank you. No, I appreciate it. So what uh, what part of Seattle are you in exactly? Um, I'm, I live in West Seattle. Okay. So are you dealing with that crazy fucking West Seattle bridge debacle? Yes. Yes, we are. 
And what's yeah. the good thing about the West yeah. Seattle Bridge debacle is we had we had just gotten over them tearing down the viaduct debacle that, that lasted for a couple of years. So, you know, they got they got that taken care of and we got the tunnel going and then then this bridge thing happened. So, yeah, you know, we're, we're, we're kind of, yeah. you know, if it wasn't for, you know, everybody working from home, it would be a really bad, bad thing. Yeah, it's it's funny you mentioned that. So, I mean, I, I work from home. I'm over in Kitsap County, actually, in the Southworth area. So directly across from from the the uh, Southworth Ferry. But my office that when I go to the office is on First Ave in downtown Seattle. So typically I would hop across ferry, you know, zip over the West Seattle Bridge. But now they detour you through like fucking Burien or something. That's a mess. Or I could take the Vash on and take another ferry and take another ferry. Either way. Yeah. Working from home uh, is is pretty pretty awesome so uh, as much as i love west seattle that whole area right now is is definitely a challenge from the commuter standpoint faux show <laughs> so um before we uh, dig into all of the good stuff i i wanted to touch on something so when we were kind of getting this set up you had mentioned something and i don't know if it was in jest or if this was legit but you said you were doing something of a humanitarian nature or some kind of a project or something you were working on what was that all about um well so this my, my mildly involved story um um I, uh, there's a guy a guy from seattle um his name was uh akbar eric kareem um i met him probably in like like 82 um he he was a roommate of mine i, I, I shared a house with um when i first joined the accused in like 84 um, we had rented a house and we shared it with um, the guys that were um, in malfunction. Um, Andy Andy Wood and uh, Regan Hagar lived in the house, mm. and Akbar lived there lived there with us as well. I worked with them at the Red Robin. Um, a few years later, um, he was a roommate here uh, with me at, 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 the, at the house we have right now, and he lived lived here for a couple of years. And then um, I got married. He still lived here, but then we were <clears throat> we were gonna have we were gonna have a kid. We did have a kid, and. Um, not you and Akbar. <laughs> yeah, pardon me. <laughs> I said not you and Akbar. You guys weren't going to have a kid. Not me and Akbar. Yeah, not not. Uh, well, <laughs> that's not my thing. I mean, I guess you know. Uh, but anyway, so uh, he 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 moved in with another guy, and Akbar was was he you know was was kind of an aspiring guitar player, kind of an aspiring comedian, and he decided to make the move down to uh, down to L.A. to see if he could find his find his fortune down there, and um, it really didn't it didn't work out um, the way he planned, and we. Uh, I talked to him a couple of times and we, we kind of lost, kind of lost touch with him. And, uh, and then probably about, oh, I don't know, eight, 18, 19 years ago, uh, my wife and my, my daughter, we were down there and we, we had heard that he wasn't, he was down selling sunglasses, um, down on the Santa Monica pier. And that's kind of one of those things where they kind of hire people to do that kind of stuff. It's kind of like a day labor, you know, sure. type of a deal. You sign, sure. sell some sunglasses, you're going to get a few dollars at the end of the day. Um, so we went down there and we were looking, looked, looked everywhere for the guy and we rented bikes and we were, um, we were riding down the, riding down under the boardwalk or the, whatever the, the walkway down there. And we stopped and, uh, next thing, next thing we know, fuck, there's fucking Akbar. He comes out, he was working at a restaurant there. He comes out and it's like, fucking hey, dude, this is, this is crazy. And, um. I don't think that he really realized how, I mean, that, you know, it was just like the meeting of universes that, that we just happened to, you know, meet him. And, uh, you know, he was, he was doing pretty good then. And then we were down a few years later 
and um, we ran into him again and uh, he, he wasn't, you know, doing, doing too, too well. That time he was working uh, at a smoke shop or something like that. And it was same kind of deal, just like a chance meeting that, that we, that we ran into him. He just kind of stopped, you know, went outside to have a cigarette. Um, lost, lost, lost touch with him. Um, you know, for whatever, like 10, 10, 10, 15 years or whatever. And every time we'd go down there, <clears throat> go down there, go down there to play, or we were down there on vacation, we'd always go down to Santa Monica and Venice beach, you know, trying to hope, hopefully, you know, run into Akbar. And we never, we never did. And then last, uh, last spring, um, there's a guy, um, that works at a coffee shop, uh, down in Venice beach. And his name is, uh, Michael Isles and Michael Isles used to be in a band from Philly, um, called Dead Spot, and um, we we had done some shows with uh, Dead Spot um, in the late 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 eighties um, or early nineties kind of type of the deal, and um, I'd actually corresponded with him a little bit, and I didn't realize you know when I was corresponding with the guy that he was the same guy from Dead Spot, you know I figured that out later on, <clears throat> but I'd sent him down a, a t shirt or he he had a, uh, like an accused t shirt or an accused AD t shirt and. Um, he was wearing it and Akbar came up to him and said, Hey, you know, I know those guys in that band, you know? So then I get, you know, get, get a message from Mike Isles that he ran into, ran into Akbar. It's like, well, that's fucking great. You know, have him give me a call. Um, so Akbar called me up and, you know, um, uh, you know, he said he was, you know, planning on coming up here in September and, you know, then, then the whole, you know, COVID and all that, you know, happened and, you know, travel, travel kind of shut down. Um, so I wasn't able to go down there to, 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 to check on him. And, um, when, when I talked to him, he asked if I'd ever, if I'd seen his dad or his brother around and I'd met his brother, his brother came over to the house once when he was like, you know, eight, eight years old or something. And that was like 25 years ago. So it's like, man, if I saw your brother, I wouldn't even, I wouldn't even know, know who he was. So I got on Facebook and I, I found, found his, found his brother and his, you know, the, the whole family, they had no idea what happened to Akbar. You know, he's just kind of like gone and um his brother told me that you know his 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 dad had passed away in uh august and you know they you know wished that they knew how to get in touch with him so i told him i you know i, I was flying down there and uh michael isles let let akbar know that you know hey i'm, I'm coming down i want to meet up and i you know i met up with him and um you know he's not he doesn't he he's um you know not not doing uh really really well down there um, you know, it's a really, really, uh, tough economy, just like it is, you know, in a lot of, you know, major cities now, um, it's pr pretty, pretty hard to survive. Um, so I just, I went down there cause he doesn't have an ID. Um, so I wanted to see if I could help him, you know, you know, get an ID. Cause you know, if he, if I got his permission, I could get his school records and, you know, go, go through a bunch of, bunch of shit uh, like that, you know, just, just, just to help him out. And, um, you know, he just, he just really, you know, he was content, you know, with the lifestyle that he was living down there. Um, I was able to, you know, I was able to, um, uh, I got, got him some, got him some clothes, gave him some money, um, got, got him a telephone. Um, and you know, that was, that was kind of pretty much it. You know, I didn't want to, you know, I did, I don't, it's, <clears throat> I was doing it cause the guy's my friend and I was down there to, you know, to, to help, help the guy out. I wasn't like swooping in, um, as you know, the great white hope, I'm here to, you know, to lift you out of poverty, you know, it's like, man, I'm here to help you out. And, and if I can help you out, you know, um, that's what I'm here for, you know, um, so I don't know if he, you know, if there was, you know, a little embarrassment or shame, you know, with the situation, you know, um, that he was in, um, you know, and if I need to go, you know, back down there, 
you know, if I have to go down there a couple of times and, you know, talk to him and, you know, just assure him that, you know, what I'm doing, you know, my, you know, my intentions are, are, are pure. And I just, you know, I just, I just want the, you know, the best for him. And he's, he's like me, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, closer to 60 than I am 25. And, you know, um, you know, it's, that's, that's a hard, uh, hard lifestyle. Um, the one that he's, the one that he's living down there. And, uh, yeah, some people just choose, you know, a lifestyle that, that works with them and maybe it's a hard life, but you know, like you said, he was content, he was getting by, maybe didn't have aspirations for anything, you know, grandiose, but it's, uh, pretty cool that you were able to connect and at least just let him know, Hey, you know, I'm still around if you need something. And I, I assume at this point, he kind of knows how to get a hold of you if he needs something, whether or not he will, I guess, uh, cosmically that's on him. But, uh, I, I hope that you got some, some kind of a, a, a cool, a cool vibe off getting to at least see him again, maybe talk about some of the cool shit from the day. And, uh, we got, yeah, we got to talk a little bit, but yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, um, props to you for you know reaching out to a friend even this day i think a lot of people just don't do that anymore everybody kind of you know stays to themselves and it's it seems like pulling teeth sometimes to to get people to help each other out but that is one thing i notice about people in the music industry there's definitely kind of a little bit more of a brotherhood and a sisterhood i would say you know people that you have a specific kind of a history with i think you feel a little bit more endeared to kind of help those out that, that, you know, you came up with or that you were affiliated with, or in, in some way, it's kind of like you're helping a person, but you're helping keep the scene going. You're helping keep those memories going. And I, I think that means a lot to a lot of people for sure. So, um, that being said, uh, you know, speaking of history, I guess I, I just like to kind of start a little bit, uh, I don't know if it's at the beginning, uh, but, you know, when I think of Seattle music, you know, I, I definitely I tend to steer more towards the heavier side of the spectrum. I mean, there's been tons of music over the years come out of the area, you know, um, Hendrix and Hart and just, you know, plenty of other cool jazz musicians from back in the day, especially the old Pioneer Square days. But when I think of the heavy stuff, I, of course, I think of the accused. I think of the the forced entries, the bitter ends, the Queens Rikes and all that kind of stuff. And you've been around in this area for a very long time, going back to the very early 80s uh, and, and quite possibly, I don't know, but maybe even sooner or, or, or earlier than that. And when you got started, I think, you know, when you were with the farts, I want to say that I heard that you were one of the first people or that band was one of the first bands to really kind of break out of the Seattle area in the sense that you guys got signed to a label that was not a Seattle label. And in fact, I think it was, was it Jello Biafra's uh, label that you guys got affiliated with? Yeah. I don't know if you'd call it signed, but you know, alternative tentacles, you know, they, they put out, they put out records for us. So what do you, what do you remember about that time specifically? I mean, what was that like? You guys kind of came up and you weren't really a band for very long before that stuff kind of started, I don't know what happening. I don't want to say falling into place because there's a lot of hard work behind it. But, um, you know, at that time, that's not what the scene was known for. You were one of a handful of bands that was really kind of doing that on the verge of punk kind of crossover getting into other stuff and i think it was really blowing people's minds that this stuff was coming out of seattle um did you know at that point that that you guys were just really going to try to take that to a new direction or were you just a bunch of kids just saying fuck it we're going to do whatever we want to do we were a bunch of kids saying fuck it we're going to do whatever we're going to do i was the youngest guy in the band and the other guys were just you know they were a few years few years older you know and when you're younger 
if you're like you know 17 18 or 19 and you know somebody that's like 21 or 22 you know at that point you know that age gap just seems like so huge um yeah you know and you know with the farts i think we we, we started uh you know our first show was probably um either at the very very tail end of, of 1980 or you know our first official official show was like in uh, January of 81 uh, was the first uh, show that we did and uh, and then we played we, we, we recorded a single um, we put that out ourselves and then it, you know a few months I mean, everything happened so quickly back then. It's so weird, you know, when you think about it, it's just like all, all, all compressed into this little, into something really, really small. <laughs> and we, we did our, we did, uh, recorded a single, you know, of course we have no, no clue at all about, you know, recording music or tuning your guitar <laughs> or, you know, it's all, it's all foreign. And we did, we did the first single and that, that went over really, really well. And then we got the, you know, the opportunity, opportunity to play with the Dead Kennedys and um, and then somebody gave us some money to, to record another record, and then uh, you know uh, Biafra put that out. Um, you know we got a, a different guitar player, uh, a guy by the name of Paul Soldier, and he was in a band called Soldier. Um, they were, I think Soldier <clears throat> was probably one of the first bands in Seattle that you would consider kind of more of a hardcore band. They were they had kind of moved a little bit beyond you know, what, what punk rock was in the city back then. And, you know, p punk rock then was kind of, was more kind of like a, a little bit older, like the arty, arty kind of a crowd, you know, it wasn't, you know, a bunch of kids that, that kind of came a little bit, a little bit later. And then we, uh, you know, our sound, we started to get, we started to get, get a little bit, a, a little bit heavier, um, you know, cause at that, you know, we were, I was getting into, you know, that that's when that first Iron Maiden was coming out and that, that first, you know, Merciful Fate EP came out and, you know, yeah. that, that Blitzkrieg single, you know, a lot of that new wave of uh, British heavy metal stuff, you know, um, we, you know, we were getting access to that and it was, and, and some of that I, I felt was heavier than, you know, some of the kind of the punk rock stuff that, that was going on. It's like, I was really drawn more to that. And then we kind of, kind of did a, did a lineup change and we got rid of our drummer, and that's when we got uh, Duff McKagan came to play drums with us. And uh, then, you know, and this got it all, you know, when I think about it, it, it just happened all so quickly. So he came and played uh, played drums with us, and we had already been working on, I don't know, we had six six or eight uh, new songs that we had. And then we went in uh, and uh, recorded with, with uh, Duff, with Duff on drums, and... Uh, he had a, he was a little bit more musical he had more musical savviness than we did um so he knew of a, a studio that was at uh i think seattle music in, in fremont and we went in there and recorded that recorded those five songs we released it on a cassette um the songs uh, got spread on a whole whole bunch of different compilations and uh that's about when we decided to change the name of the band to 10 minute warning so some of the songs were released as as the farts <clears throat> and then some of this and then on, on on some comps were called the farts on some comps were called deminent warning and then we uh we did one we did one live show uh with duff and um that was in portland and that was like in uh november of 82 and uh that we actually we played with poison idea and and we played with the accused and it was one of the first actually one of the first um 
live shows that the accused did um and came came back to seattle then our our bass player uh steve fart he quit he quit quit the band um you know he was everybody's do, do doing their own thing at that point in time um so we continued on his 10 minute warning uh duff moved on to uh to play second guitar and then we got uh, greg gilmore on the drums and uh a little bit before that, uh, Greg and, and Duff were in a band called uh, called The Living, and um, and back then, some of these guys like Duff McKagan, the guy was in like fucking every band that was you know around <laughs> back then, you know. So it wasn't you know. I, I sometimes people talk to me. It's like, oh, you played with Duff. It's like you know, I'm talking to these people. It's like I don't know what you want me to tell you, man. It's like I played music with the guy for like three months, you know. It's like forty years ago. I'm not, you know, <laughs> you know. Uh, and then, yep, Paul Soldier guitar, Duff McKagan guitar, uh, David David Grigas uh, played played bass, and David Griggs, which was actually I went to uh, Roosevelt High School in uh, 1976-1977, my freshman year, <clears throat> and that's where I, I originally met met David Griggs um, in high school, and uh, Greg Gilmore on the drums. Um, once again, we were lucky enough to get hooked up with the Dead Kennedys again. Uh, we got some good shows with the Dead Kennedys. Um, the The sound was the sound of the of the band was was kind of changing a bit, and then just a few months after that, like you get into um, like April of '83, then they they kicked me out of the band. <laughs> okay, I was going to ask about that because I heard conflicting stories about either that you were fired or that you had already formed a bond with the accused and that they found out you wanted to join them and they let you go because of that. So what is that story? No, I joined the accused. That was about a year later. So, oh, okay. Yeah. I joined the accused in, uh, uh, like April of 84. So, so they booted you out. Um, for what reason? Um, my, my vocal style, you know, I'm not, I wasn't, you know, as cool. I wasn't as cool and hip as those guys were. <laughs> it's funny that, 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 I mean, if, if that is truly the reason, you know, that being, no, I'm pretty, I'm pretty that you, sure that that's, that's, <laughs> yeah. It became such a signature for you, um, that, I mean, you're, you're known for among other things, but, but your vocal style. So, uh, and then, so you went on eighty uh, four ish or so, and you joined the accused. And so they had already been playing, and the accused at that time was playing stuff that wasn't too terribly different than what the farts were doing. Huge fucking punk kind of hardcore sound. But then, you know, upon I don't know if it was upon your arrival or if it had already been a transition in place. But we see a really, as you started touching on, like a, a very metal kind of an influence. Uh, you know. And, thrash hardcore crossover whatever the fuck you want to call it but it, it definitely a departure from what you were doing so was that kind of already in progress by the time you joined or did you when you joined they say hey listen no they they had already kind of started to kind of move into or towards a more more heavier heavier sound and then that's why they got rid of their singer at that point in time because he he still wanted to do you know more of that you know sing-songy um kind of hardcore uh punk kind of stuff that they were doing oh okay you know, oh, okay. so that's that's why they that's why they booted him and they and they got me in the band. 
Well, it kind of worked out then, you know, that farts wanted to go a different direction with their sound and accused wanted to go a different direction with their sound. And you just kind of slid right in there. And, and I guess then the, <laughs> we'll say the magic started happening. Now, I, I, I don't know. How was it when you first joined? Was it like a seamless kind of a transition or was there any kind of a major adjustment period you had to go through from, from one band to another? I know you had a year between them. Um, no, no, not really. I mean, we, we, you know, when I joined the band, we still did, you know, a lot of the, a lot of the old songs that they did, um, that they're more classic ones. And then, you know, we started to write, write new material that was, uh, that was getting a little bit heavier. I think, you know, that there was a, you know, the shift in, in what was happening, um, as far as playing shows in Seattle at that point in time, you know, cause the big, the big place then was, was the metropolis, and you know some of those places were starting to were starting to phase out, and it was kind of moving it moving into a a, a new a new phase of uh, of you know live music you know places to play live music. It actually took us a while to really get a footing, you know, with with playing shows. You know, I think one of the first shows that we played in Seattle, like nobody nobody showed up. <laughs> Well, I, I've played in a, a few death metal bands over the course uh, of time, and especially uh, I, I, I have I have played those shows where uh, you're playing to uh, your friends and your family and maybe the sound guy, and then by the time your show is done, your friends and family aren't even there anymore. <laughs> yes. So, hey, yeah, thanks, yeah. guys. Appreciate that. But, you know, that, that kind of early 80s time frame, kind of, I say mid-80s, I guess, more likely is really, I think, when the Seattle quote unquote metal scene, I, I believe really kind of started to take off and, and like the thrash and kind of the classic heavy metal kind of stuff, you know, your sanctuaries and whatnot, all that stuff started kind of gaining a foothold. And uh, I think, you know, the accused, I always looked at them like, um, you know, DRI kind of got, I don't know if the word credit is apt, but you know, they had their, their album crossover and that phrase became affiliated with them. But I kind of feel like Accused was doing crossover before there was crossover. And that was kind of always the impression I got because you had technical kind of guitars, fucking sick-ass uh, double kick drums, uh, your absolutely insane vocal style. Um, it, it just all kind of fit together. And so when the word crossover came into existence, I remember thinking, this has been a thing. Why are they just now calling it this? Did you ever kind of get that impression as well? For, for me, the crossover always meant where you were crossing over with the two genres, putting them yeah. together. Yeah. Um, so we were we were doing stuff that was, was metallic and then more hardcore. And I think, you know, like, you know, stuff that, you know, the D DRI and even, you know, how crossover um, is now, because there's a whole movement of, you know, that's a thing now it's 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 more of a just right. another it's more of another genre you know a style of music versus versus putting you know these different 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 types of music together and i think we were more into like putting the different different types of music together yeah yeah i definitely agree with that you know and on and on top of that uh, in addition to of course the sound that i want to say that i i kind of feel like you guys really not only kind of helped to create, but really kind of perfected at that time. But you also were known for, we'll say your stage antics, your energy, your live performances, uh, bouncing off the walls, running around, doing all kinds of crazy jumps and all, all kinds of stuff. In fact, I've got a, a listener question from uh, 
uh, Francisco Polito, who says, you know, hey, you were known for doing all of these these jumps and jumping really high. Do you know offhand what's the highest you've ever jumped uh, at at a show? Do you do you recall that at all? I don't know. I could jump high. <laughs> and you know, the difference with between you know, there's other guys that could jump high as well, but there's right. other guys and they did it and they would launch off of the bass drum or launch off of the drum riser. You know, for me, it was off the. I'm off the I'm off the stage or off the floor going up, you know. Yeah. That that's that's yeah. what I was doing. Yeah, you were like uh, Air Jordan uh, before there was Air Jordan. I mean, you were getting some fucking lift, which was crazy. <laughs> I remember watching some of those videos. Um, in fact, we'll talk about some of the the videos here again towards the end of the segment. But uh, just remembering watching watching the accused uh, live. It didn't matter if you guys were on a stage or if you were playing on a floor in a corner of a fucking basement room somewhere and it didn't matter if there was five people there or 500 people there the energy that you guys put out was always the same it it was like you weren't even aware of what was there you were going to have your your performance moment regardless of the situation and i think that's probably one of the things that people really became endeared to you for because they knew that no matter what the situation was they were going to get a show out of you guys. Yeah, yeah that's that's, um, that's just what we did. You know, that's what we thought you were supposed to do. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, we've all been to shows where you go there and you watch the performers and they're just kind of standing there. And it's very, uh, I guess, anti-cathartic, especially in, you know, the the heavier genres, your, your punks, your metals, your hardcores, or, you know, whatever you call it. You think you're going to go there and, and just have this epic energy laden festival and then you just get a bunch of fucking jagoffs standing there not even looking like they want to play their instruments and just what a downer that is that's such a yeah and i you know i for one never had a chance to see uh you know the accused live but i i've i've heard the stories millions of times and just always thought that uh, that's super cool um and uh as a second part to uh francisco's uh question was uh you know, you also have one of the most unmistakable voices ever. So in addition to your energy um, and, and your voice, you know, uh, who and, you know, what influenced your, your vocal style? Um, I would say at w- w- when I was first starting to sing, it was um, uh, Ron Reyes, who was the uh, second singer for Black Flag. And he's the guy who uh, does the uh, singing the Black Flag stuff on the uh, Decline of the Western Civilization Part 1. Um, Cal um, from Discharge and then uh, Darby Crash um, from The Germs. Those were probably, you know, my three, you know, if I had to say that I had, you know, vocal idols or, you know, sounds that, you know, that I was trying to aspire to, to, to achieve that was, you know, from those guys. Yeah. Yeah. And as somebody who's done you know, kind of the, the screamy vocals and whatnot myself. I mean, there's a lot of energy that comes just from putting out that kind of a vocal. So watching you and listening to you running around, fucking jumping around, doing all kinds of crazy shit and still having that ungodly sound come out of your pie hole. I mean, <laughs> you had to just be wiped out by the time those shows were done. <laughs> most, most definitely. Yeah. There was some of them. Yeah. Yeah. That was toasted. Yeah. Awesome. Well, so, um, also speaking then, I guess, about about kind of the uh, those accused days, obviously, you guys had a mascot, the old uh, Martha Splatterhead, 
which kind of took it to the next level. It wasn't just like a Eddie, you know, from Iron Maiden or, you know, like a Vic from Megadeth where they were just like a dude just kind of there as, as a visual cue. But, you know, Martha Splatterhead became a character in stories and songs and, and, and really in some capacity was almost kind of conceptual like concept album stuff so um now i know that uh you know tommy kind of came up with the you know the physical manifestation of the artwork but was there ever a conversation that said we need to create this badass character and fucking write songs about it and have this be a thing or did that just evolve just kind of randomly and and one day it was there and you said oh it's fucking cool let's write a song about it um we we had we had the character yeah then i then i i i yeah i wrote wrote the song for it and the name the name, the, the Martha Splatterhead character, the name came from uh, in the in that early 80s time period, like probably around 83. I was doing some uh, BB gun wars um, <laughs> with some guys and we all had we all had nicknames and my, my nickname's always been Zippy. So that was my nickname. But one of the guys um, in the BB gun wars, his 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 nickname was Martha Splatterhead. So that's where I that's where I took oh. took took that name from. So it was an actual person. Yeah, we we created it as being we, we still when we still wanted to be um, um, accepted by like the maximum rock and roll crowd. Um, so we figured if we had this, if we had this, these songs were about this, this woman that was killing people, it would be a little bit, you know, um, a more positive on our side. Um, and we'd still get some uh, positive reviews in the uh, maximum rock and roll. <laughs> it was just a combination of awesome factors that uh, that went together and made it what it is and it's funny you know it's it's iconic at this point where you don't really think of the accused necessarily at least you know back in the day without having that martha splatterhead association which is really cool um, and you know there was still some kind of semi you know we'll call it social awareness going on because you know martha splatterhead would you know come back from the dead and like you know kill the fucking rapists or kill the molesters or kill all these bad people so it was kind of like before there was dexter killing the other killers <laughs> there was there was martha splatterhead killing the pieces of shit of society and so a hero but an anti-hero at the same time so um you know accused had a, a pretty good uh a run and then somewhere along the way like you know 92 93 94 somewhere in there i don't know if you guys like broke up or just went on hiatus and just kind of snuck out for a while but you went away for a while one way or another and i've heard multiple stories as to what happened so what did officially happen at that time frame um i i i think probably you know one of the things is when when we got when we got dropped from combat um that was kind of like um shortly thereafter that's when tom was kind of starting to do kind of that side stuff with the grunt truck thing and um, mm -hmm. that was that was taking up more energy than than what was going into, into the accused. And even at one point in time uh, during that time frame, I quit the band because it's like, you know, this is what we, we need to do this. We need to be writing songs, you know, to make this happen. And then we, we did we came back and made it happen. And then we did the we did the, um, you know, the, the records, the records with Nasty Mix. And um, yeah. and then Tom was just, you know, involved in that grunt truck thing. And then on that last um for the last record that we did with Nasty Mix, the Splatter Rock uh, record, um, he just ended up, you know, bailing on the band, you know, shortly before the record was going to be released. And um, we had a, a, a European tour booked. Um, so we had, uh, Alex and myself had done um, a couple of uh, uh, 
that's kind of like when the whole band's doing covers. That's when that all kind of started taking off. And uh, we had done a, a, a cover, a Black Sabbath cover night with uh, um, Andy Massey, who was in a band called uh, Terrorist. Um, so we had played with him for a while. And then when, when Tom quit, we said, hey, you want to come and, uh, you know, come, come and join the band. We're going to Europe. And yeah, so Andy came on and uh, played with us for, you know, the next, next uh, couple of two or three years. And, um, you know, things, things were rough and that's, you know, they, they, he was a little bit younger, you know, the drummer that we had there, they, you know, they were a little bit younger and, um, you know, we weren't always get, getting along as well as we could. And you're, you know, you're younger and you don't really know how to communicate properly with people, you know, to make, <laughs> to make, to make, to move, move stuff along in, in the right way. So we did the, we did the, uh, we did the, the couple, couple of European tours, tours with Andy Actually, um, on the last European tour, we were um, offered a deal with uh, Century Media, and uh, you know, we just we just got back and just decided to you know just just you know you know hang it up for a little while, and then Tom was you know yeah. con continued to do uh, Grunt Truck, and then you know pretty soon, Grunt Truck was basically the accused with a different singer. You know, at one point the lineup was, you know, Josh, Josh Cinder on drums, um, you know, Alex Maggotbrain on bass and Tom Niemeyer on guitar and then Ben McMillan on, uh, you know, playing guitar and, and singing. Yeah, albeit a totally, a totally different sound because, you know, at that point, the, the grunge thing had really kind of taken off. Um, but that is true. I guess I never really thought about it in, in that terms. But yeah, that, that's a, kind of exactly what it was. And so, <laughs> you know, just backtrack in a second. I hadn't planned on going down this road, but since you mentioned it, because you mentioned combat too. And of course, I talked to, to uh, Colin and Tony about combat because they had problems with combat. And it seems like it was kind of around the same time. So w was there just something crazy going on with that label where they were just a disorganized mess and not supporting people? I mean, did you get dropped because they fucking hated you or did, or did they just, they just were a shitty label and couldn't get their crap together and they just didn't want to support your band. I think that back then that was pretty much the nature of being on any record label back then. Yeah. You know, it's just the way the money, the money flowed, um, distribution, you know, everybody had bad contracts because you didn't know, you didn't know what the fuck you're signing. You got a contract. Yeah. You're going to get some money. Yay. You know, yeah. then you don't realize yeah. it, you know, they're going to put out a record, but it's not really like you're on a label. It's more like they're, they're loaning you the money and you don't, you know, so everything <laughs> that goes into putting out a record you pay for, you know, which is, which, yeah. you know, which you don't, you, you know, you don't, you don't realize that, you know, later on. And, um, I think with combat, I think it was, you know, when we were getting to, um, getting ready to do that, uh, the last record that we were going to do with combat, I think that the, the money, you know, the, um, our, our advance, I don't remember. I think, I think the, you know, um, our, our advance for that next record was like 18 or 20 grand, you know, and I think they just didn't want to, they just didn't want to, you know, kick, kick down the money, you know, and, um. So it's just easier for him to for him to just drop us. Yeah, <laughs> and you know, it, looking. I mean, I guess back in the eighties, you know, twenty grand is was especially to a bunch of kids, probably you know, epic. You know, it costs far more than that to make an album in like we'll call it a proper studio these days. 
Uh, I've seen some of these studio budgets. I mean, I don't know, you know, if it, you know, in the sense like if the accused, I don't, I, what was your style in the studio? I mean, were you guys like a, like a live jam recorded all together band or were you, you know, multi-tracking it and taking weeks to do this or, you know, what was your process back then? Pretty, pretty much back then. I, th I think that it was multi-tracking what was the norm, mm -hmm. you know, and I think you'd go in there and you'd spend, you know, two days just getting drum sounds you know, yeah. and, uh, you know, there's always, there's always overdubs and, um, it, I just, you know, we, we don't do it that way anymore, but yeah, I think a, a lot of, a lot of wasted time, <laughs> a lot of wasted time and a lot of wasted money that, that wasn't, uh, wasn't actually yours because they just, they take it all back anyway. So whatever they give you, you got to give it back. And then probably more. I mean, we've all heard the horror stories about these bands that get these advances only to realize that they owe the record label some more for promotions and this and that. And they got to pay the fucking record label more than they got paid. I think the 30 seconds to Mars was the one that stands out the most to me in that sense. Uh, with that dude, that was just piles of craziness. I, I mean, I don't think it ever got to that level with anybody in this scene, but um, that, the, the, the reality of the record business is that uh, very few people actually make money from recordings especially now of course that's a whole different ball game but uh yeah it's just funny that it happened to be combat and i was just talking about combat with somebody else so it just kind of uh kind of struck my uh struck my mind there but um so you guys kind of you hung it up you guys were doing your own kind of things and then at some point you know you formed uh toe tag actually then we got we we reformed like twice after that so we got back together in like that 96, 97 time frame, um, tried, tried to make it happen, tried to write some material and it just, it, you know, it did, did, didn't happen. You know, we played some shows and, and it ended up being more like a, more like a, a money thing. You know, you could play the, you could play these, play these shows and, you know, at the end of the night you could get, you know, six or eight or, or $900, you know, you could sell a, sell a couple, you know, hundred dollars worth of merchandise. And, you know, back then, you know, if you're getting at, after pl playing a show, if you're, if you're ending up with, you know, two, three, four or $500 in your pocket, I mean, that was like, that was like real money, you know, um, back then. So I think we, we were doing it more, more for a money thing. And then we got back and did it again in, um, like that 2005, you know, t time frame, and uh, you know, we, you know, we, 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 you know, we, we tried and we, we, we put out, we put out a record, um, but you know, not everybody realized that even you know by then, you know, things, things had, things had changed, you know, and uh, you know, we, we were older, um, we definitely had, you know, there, there we had that had that 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 kind of a cult cult core following, but um, you know. The, the the younger crowd they were moving you know they were moving in their own own direction and not everybody was is is willing to embrace you know you know stuff that happened before yeah and you know the scene the scene had changed and the industry had had changed and of course like you said you you get older your I don't know if it's like your attitude changes or just maybe your outlook or your perception you know you'd been in the business your your thoughts on the business were probably different and uh you tried to make it work a few times with, you know, some of the same people, some different people. And, uh, you know, at some point though, you're just, I don't know if it was, it you're just, you kind of had to give it up and say, you know, I got to move on from this because we've tried it and it's just not, not going where I want it to go. Or right? it just doesn't feel the same. The energy is not the same. Um, it, it, it was more than that. That's, that gets in, 
that gets into the realm of stuff it's not you know it's not worth yeah we're past the you know kind of past the pull date on that you know i mean that i can you know <laughs> i can go go on on that but yeah we you know we, we we were we were done with the aqs we did that record and then um alex and uh, steve nelson who was the accused drummer at that point in time and myself we moved on and you know started started toe tag well we got to take ourselves a quick little break but i figured now would be the perfect time to share a toe tag song with you so here it is off their 2017 album throat to scroat best album name ever by the way here is cardboard demon And uh, so Toe Tag and uh, it kind of evolved into Accused AD, but really it's the same band, more or less, right? Like maybe some different concepts and different ideas, like some different presentation, but the people doing it are the same. So did I, I heard, and I don't know if this is entirely accurate, but I, I, I have heard that basically toe tag was getting requests and uh, and had become popular but knowing who you guys were people were like hey why don't you play some accused shit and so that kind of evolved into you guys kind of doing some accused songs and that became kind of more and more what you were expected to do 
Um, is that kind of along the truth? We were we were asked to do the accused stuff very on after after we started playing, and um, I think it was <clears throat> after we'd been doing doing toe tag for I don't know maybe maybe four or five years we 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 learned a, we learned an accused set of songs and we called ourselves Martha's Revenge. Right. And uh, right. Yeah, we did we did uh, you know we did stuff 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 up and down stuff up and down the west west coast and we'd actually do do two sets we'd do a toe tag set and then you know our accused uh, tribute tribute set and then. Um, as it got closer, it was like going to be the 30, 30 year anniversary of the release of uh, the more fun than an open casket funeral um, <laughs> LP. Um, so that's when we decided, let's just go, we're, we'll call ourselves the accused AD. And then we're going to learn that record um, from, from front to back. And we'll, uh, we'll play that record live um, for the anniversary of, of its release. So that's, that's how we kind of switched into doing, doing the accused AD. And even when, when we, uh, we, we did, we did some touring on that. We went and did, did some stuff on, on the East coast and whatnot. Um, we would still do, we'd still do two sets. We do, we'd do our toe tag set and then we would do the accused songs or we do the, or we do the accused songs first and then follow it up with the, uh, with the toe tag set. Yeah. And the toe tag. So it was cool because you had basically original material as toe tag and some accused material, we'll call it just the classic shit that, you know, everybody loses their minds over. So you really got the kind of best of both worlds, and you, you more or less got a double set out of it with the same dudes. Uh, speaking of being tired, I bet that wiped you the hell out, too, especially as, uh, you know, you're not a 20-year-old kid anymore uh, pulling it back to that oh, yeah. set. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And at some point, I mean, you guys played, you did a show with DRI and The Accused, correct? Yes, we did. How did that go over? I know that you didn't play any Accused songs in that set, but what was the vibe like? Did you guys talk to each other? Was there, how was, how was the interaction? <laughs> yeah, we don't, we don't, we don't interact. So. Yeah. So you just, you went and played the show and. It was it was it was a it was a little tense for some people. Um, for us, for us, not so much because by the time we started doing toe tag, you know, we we totally realized how you know everything's changed. So you know, you have to get get to a point where you're 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 doing the music and you're doing it for fun because there's no more you know you're not gonna make it big, you know, you're not getting a bunch of chicks at the end of the night, you know, there's no big payday, you're not making a bunch of money. Um, you know, all that's that, you know, that shit's all gone. You know, it was, it was great. It was great when it was around, you know, um, totally appreciate it, but it's not, you know, it's not like that now. And we, you know, we do toe tag cause that's, we, we like to play. That's what we, you know, that's what we like to do. Yeah. And so you got, you know, the blast from the past. Of course, we talked about DRI and now here you guys get to play with DRI, which I thought was super cool, but I did always wonder, you know, because obviously the accused and the accused AD exist simultaneously, but separately at the same time. So I always wondered how, how you guys, I mean, did that, how did that conversation even happen? I mean, who, how did that get initiated to play that show? Oh, how we, how toe tag got to play that show. Oh, well, I just called up, called up Dana at the Corazon and said, shit, man, we got to get on that show. <laughs> So we, so we put us on. That's, you know, that's, that was pretty much, 
so it didn't take much to make it happen but i, I guess uh you know it <laughs> were they was the accused surprised that you were there or, or was it just kind of a thing you guys talked about in advance at all um i'm sure that there was there was a little bit of surprise that we got on the bill. <laughs> was there, just to be honest, was there any bit of just a little bit, I got to fucking do this just because, was that going through your mind at all? Oh, of course. Of course. Yeah. You know, but Alex Megabrain, he, 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 he has, he has a saying that he, that he coined years ago. And, and the saying is can implies capability. So yeah, we, we do things because we, we can, you know, that's, you know, you know, we did that. We did that thing with uh, with DRI and the accused. Um, you know, we got a chance. We we played with uh, Guar and you know Napalm Death and Municipal Waste. You know, since we do this stuff because we can. Um, even with you know doing this accused AD, we we drove out and played the uh, Maryland Death Fest um, in two in two thousand and nineteen, and shit. We drove from Seattle for, for nothing. We didn't get paid nothing, you know. We drove, we drove straight yeah. all all the way from from Seattle. Actually, we drove from Seattle. We we played we played a couple other shows out there, but we drove straight from Seattle to fucking Brooklyn, straight straight to the hotel, you know, non nonstop. And yeah, then we played that the played the you know the show at the Maryland Death Fest where we played with uh, we actually we played with the uh, DRI again and. Um, and uh, cryptic slaughter, who you know had to call themselves low life, and uh, yeah, fuck, we got we got um, we got some drink tickets and some food tickets, and that was it. That's you know? uh, that's your payment for your thirty five hundred mile an hour or thirty five hundred mile a trip across the country one yeah, way. Of yeah, course. well, you know that's, <laughs> but it's an experience. This whole thing with people, they talk about you know pay to play. Well, you know if you got to pay. Five hundred dollars to play to play in front of two thousand people, you know, fuck yeah. I mean, why not? You know, because they're not. Yeah. Gonna, I'm not going to get two thousand people to come see our band play, but they're going to come. You know, <laughs> yeah. It, yeah. It was it was worth. It was yeah. totally. You know, it was totally worth it. You know, it was a excellent. You know, great, great, great experience. And um, yeah, don't. Yeah, I do it again. Do hell yeah! It's amazing how much you you get more enjoyment out of it and you you get the personal satisfaction out of it when all the pressure and obligation is kind of taken out of the equation all of the this isn't career stuff this isn't you know fucking I, i'm gonna get all of this out of it is just i just want to do it because i fucking love it and it's just shits and giggles and i have a story to tell later on and that just makes things i think so much better for a lot of people in the industry it just it changes the whole the whole experience for you oh yeah i mean that's 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 where we're at right now you know i just wish the the past yeah. year you know 2020 didn't turn out the way that it did you know but yeah man what a fuck in the ass for the music industry that's for sure and i, I shouldn't say just for the music industry for people in general um but yeah. I, I mean i i'm exposed to musicians all the I've been, that's a bad way to look at that too. Um, but I talk to musicians all the time and obviously everybody's just, they're dying, they're jonesing for some kind of, some kind of an interaction. And I, I guess, uh, even outside of the music business, just this year has just been just, it, you know, it is what it is. Piles of craziness. Uh, so I, you know, I, I have talked to several people who were, you know, at one point, you know, back in the day, obviously bands used to make money 
on some capacity from albums and then that shifted to hey you make your money from tours and then now you can't tour anymore so we're starting to see a shift back to you know bands putting out you know either physical merch and selling the crap out of merch online or maybe getting some albums back out or selling singles or selling downloads you know whatever you can do to kind of recoup that it's just changed the entire way this this industry operates um how have you been dealing with that i mean i wasn't going to go down this road but since since we're on it now i mean uh is do you feel any any sense of like i gotta do this or are you guys just chilling taking it easy and just doing whatever just because you know we we never stop playing so yeah. you know we've <laughs> yeah we've been jamming we've been jamming the, we've been jamming the whole time um yeah we're you know writing writing new material um we're gonna record um in may uh you oh, know yeah. we've done we've done a couple of live streams from you know from the basement here uh yeah yeah we're we're still we're still doing our thing you know a whole but you know we had a whole bunch of stuff that was planned for 2020 you know it was kind of a drag you know um that it's not going to happen and then we were playing uh we had we, we we had uh we were playing with two drummers so we were playing with um steve the slayer uh hippie hanford um for portland and he was doing uh the accused songs with us and then we were doing the toe tag songs with uh, uh chris chris Godey. And uh, Chris Godey was in My Sister's Machine and uh, Mistrust and, you know, whole whole bunch of other shit that I didn't even know about, you know, now that I've, I've known the guy, I've known Chris, Chris for a long, long time, but we don't really, don't really talk about music. And then, you know, you know, when we're at practice, he's talking about all the shit they did. It's like, fuck, man, I, I had no idea. Yeah, no. And then, you know, then, well, unfortunately, you know, the Slayer hippie died. Um, so, um, you know, we, ha we haven't even learned. We haven't learned the old accused set with 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 Chris. You know, we're just you know mostly mostly working on new stuff. Um, yeah, that's what yeah. we're doing. Yeah, we, you know, because we we do it front. It's kind of like a men's club. You know, everybody gets together. We jam here um, in my basement. Um, still, you know, two two days a week religiously. You know, because that's that's how you become a black belt. You know, um, just you just gotta <laughs> you gotta keep on keep on keep it on. Yeah, you're the senseis of crossover. The senseis of metal. <laughs> so when you guys, uh, you see, you're, you're, you got some new stuff that you're going to be recording then. Um, now, is it going to be similar to, say, Ghoul in the Mirror? Because, you know, I actually only recently came across that album. And the one thing I noticed about it as I was listening to it is, unlike prior material from you guys, that album literally has a dozen different genres of stuff kind of all rolled up into one. Like it's got very sludgy kind of doom element to it. It's got some just straight up in your face punk shit in there. It's got some pretty technical thrashy stuff in there. So it's really kind of like a best of everything all rolled up into one. It's a fucking awesome metal burrito. Um, and so that's what well, it's, so it's cross it's crossover or as the accused call it, we call it splatter rock. <laughs> Our, our new songs, our new songs are, are just the same. Yeah, yeah. we don't, uh, yeah. we're not so, so genre specific or, or so trying to uh, achieve a certain sound, you know, because, uh, you know, the, the, the music is, it's, it's made for people to listen to, but it's also made more for, for what we like and what, what, you know, what, what, you know, what makes us happy. Yeah. I remember watching the video for uh, Wego Terminato and just like, it was this really cool, like mid paced. And I was doing this. I'm just like 
oh man, this is not what I expected it. And, but then as I was listening, it just grew and grew and grew in intensity. And I was like, wow, what a cool way to uh, introduce new material that still has the same kind of vibe to it, but probably different than what people would have expected that you were going to put out before it was released. Uh, did you guys get a pretty good response to that? We did get a good response. And then, then, you know, then there's, there's some, we, you know, we got, got some negative reaction as well, you know, where people saying, well, you know, that's not the accused. And it's like, it's kind of hard to the purist, the purist. And, but it's kind of, it's, it's kind of difficult to say who's, who's to say if we would have continued playing as the accused, who's to say how the music would have evolved, you know, over, over 10 or 15 or 20 years. Um, you know that's it's 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 a hard call and um you know we're not like like i said we don't we don't try to make music to fit into a specific you know box or a category or or a genre you know if we wanted to if we wanted to goes back to the can implies capability i mean if that's if that's what we wanted to do was to you know emulate you know maddest stories ever told or grinning like an undertaker um that's what we would have done but that's that's not where we're at right and you know it's it's an age-old debate you hear it all the time you know the the purists will never want a band to change you know and then but then you you just you get stagnant i can't think of a band out there that's been a band for 15 20 years who sounds the same that they did when they were you know in their 20s it just it just doesn't happen as much as people would like to think that you can stay like that forever. I mean, your body changes, your voice changes, your energy changes, your exposure to different kinds of music has changed over the years. I mean, it's almost impossible to just kind of, I mean, you'd be locked into a bubble and playing the same shit. You, I would get bored out of my mind doing it. But I mean, I get where people come from. You you fall in love with a sound and you fall in love with the idea but as an artist, I mean, that shit gets old real fucking quick if uh, <laughs> if you can't do anything else as well, which is cool, though, because you guys, you've, Blaine, you've always done different concepts. So I think, has that kind of helped you keep things fresh all these years? Oh, yeah, yeah. No, I'm, I'm you know, I like you said, once all the all the other bullshit is over, I mean, yeah, I, I have more fun. And I think, you know, I'll never, you know, I'm older, I'll never be able to achieve some of the tones I got with my voice, you know. 25 or 30 years ago but i mean i um you know i think i'm I'm a, I'm a better singer now i'm i'm more consistent you know i'm you know i'm 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 more 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 focused on on what i do yeah, yeah. i have as much i've got as just just as much fun now as i did at, ever in the past <laughs> and you know you're you're creeping up on 30 years old now so i mean you're starting to starting to be a big kid <laughs> So, well, hey, I, I that's really cool. I appreciate that that history lesson there. And I want to talk a little bit about kind of moving forward because speaking of the the Napalm Deaths and the Maryland Death Fest and all that kind of cool shit, you got involved with a band from Florida called Denial Fiend. And that kind of really blows my mind because, uh, I, I mean... It's not only is it a, a complete coastal difference there, but it's also a completely different genre. And so you replaced Cam Lee uh, of Massacre and a million other bands, of course. And and uh, Denial Fiend also features, uh, you know, Terry Butler. Um, so I'd like to know <laughs> how how did you 
even get introduced into that project? That's it. This is a, a, a thing I'm very curious about. Um, I had done some stuff. Um, the guitar player, um, his name is Sam Williams. Mm -hmm. And, uh, mm -hmm. he's the guy that, that, that wrote all the, that, that wrote all that music. And, uh, he was in a band called the pseudo heroes. And, um, I'd done a, a couple of, uh, uh, guest vocal things with the pseudo heroes. And he was in a band called the, uh, Spears and, uh, down by law. And, uh, yeah. So he just said, he just asked me if I wanted to sing on this, uh, on this denial theme thing. And that's <laughs> kind of pretty much it. It's like, it's like, it's like, yeah, you know, I think the only, the only downer was, is I, you know, I'm not a, I'm not a master lyric writer. So, um, you know, sometimes yeah. I like to save my lyrics for the band that I'm, that I'm in. Cause I, I don't, I can't write lyrics that, you know, I'm not, 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 not that prolific. Um, but yeah, he asked me to do it. And then, you know, it's, that's kind of like when all that, you know, uh, you know, he sends the files, you know, emails the files over here. And, uh, you know, I recorded the vocal tracks here, here in my basement and, uh, yeah. Yeah. Then the record came out we did a, yeah, we did a short tour. We did like uh, 10, 10 shows on the East coast with, uh, with obituary. And that's kind of like just when, uh, that's just when Terry Butler had, had started playing with obituary and we had, uh, yeah, Terry Butler was playing bass. Sam Williams was on guitar, and I, I don't, I don't remember the the drummer's name. the 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 drummer that played on the recordings was uh, Rob Campy, who uh, was was one from of the DRI, DRI drummers. From DRI. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. the drummer that that did the tour, um, he played in uh, he had played in Six Feet Under, and uh, yeah. It, it, it was kind of a different thing because the obituary guys, they were, you know, they're more of a metal, uh, more of a metal thing. And I was kind of, I'm more used to, you know, the, sh the show's over. All right, let's load up, you know, let's get the van loaded. And it's like, you know, that's not, they, they operate, you know, it was a, they operated at a whole different level that I wasn't really, um, I'd almost have to say I wasn't really comfortable with. Um, but, um, yeah. you know, that's, you know, that's kind of, kind of how it went. Yeah. We did, uh, yeah, t yeah, ten shows. Um, yeah, up up and down the East Coast. Yeah, it was. Uh, so when they in when they introduced you to that project, I mean, how familiar were you with it? Had you never heard it before? And they said, "Hey, we're doing this, but now we want to try it this way." Because obviously, you and Cam have completely different vocal styles. Although topically, you know, topically the song content, the lyrical content, it's not too drastically different, right? It's, splatter gore guts fucking you know tearing shit up so but did you did you go on there and say well hey listen i'll i'll i can join this band i can do this project with you but you know obviously you have to know what my vocal style is going to be for this band it's going to be different how did that go over well he when he asked me i mean he they, they he knows what i do so yeah yeah you know yeah. Uh, there wasn't really any there wasn't really any big big conversation it's like you know this is you know this is Blaine. This is what my voice is going to sound like. And yeah, I thought it was cool because you know, what it reminded me of is um, because I was familiar with the band before. And then when you came on board, I was like, wow, this really took it to a very grindcore sound was, I just couldn't get that out of, out of my mind. It was very grindy. It reminded me at that point, like a lot of the old earache stuff, which I fucking love. 
um, because it has that really just in your face, raw element to it. So I thought it was cool that that band really had basically now two LPs out that were awesome in their own right, but completely different sounds. And so it just kind of also reminds me of how now, you know, you were doing some, some toe tag and some accused AD stuff that also encompassed different sounds from different eras. So I just thought that was really cool. Was, was that kind of intended uh, as kind of a long-term project or was this a like, Hey Blaine, come on board, help us out. And then we go our own ways. Just kind of like a one-off, one-off kind of a deal. Yeah. Sam, he's, you know, mentioned, you know, over the years about, you know, doing something again, but you know, I don't, you know, if it happens, it happens. Whether or not that happens or if they ask me or they get somebody else, I don't know. You know, <laughs> I'm always, you know, I do. I sang a song on the uh, the new Municipal Waste record that's coming out. Um, I did vocals on one of their tunes. Um, I'm, I'm game, you know. Fuck, somebody wants me to do something. I'm, I'm there, man. <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> I love it. And uh, bringing this back now full circle, so... You recently launched the Accused Archives, which um, I think I, I assume that this was probably a, just a complete labor of either love or hate for you, um, <laughs> because I'm sure that people over years have pl- probably asked you questions and, hey, what do you remember about this show? What do you remember about that show? I was at this show. Was this kind of born out of just people's interactions with you over the years? And you said, you know what? Fuck it. I could answer all those questions or I can put it up there for you all to see. Um, we we um, had had a guy that uh, we we correspond with uh, with, and his name is uh, Jesse Davis. He's he's um, from down in the Bay Area, and he's um, uh, uh, you, you know filmed filmed us as a as toe tag as as accused AD, and um, he was able to do all that uh, all that all that transferring of the VHS you know into into the digital format. So we uh, went down, we'd, we were doing some shows down in the Bay Area, brought down the box of VHS tapes, and, uh, you know, I think it took him maybe not quite a year, but, you know, it took, took him about nine months um, to, get this, to get the stuff all, all, all digitized. And uh, then once he digitized it, we had to have... Uh, 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 a local gal here um, from Seattle. Her name's uh, Christine Nyland. Um, she then went and um, transferred it all to the uh, MP4 format um, so that it could be, uh, you know, uh, you know, uh, put put on put online. And uh, yeah, it just seemed like it just seemed like a good thing because you know the, that kind of you don't you don't make money off that kind of stuff anymore. It's not like you know back in the day where you could make it make a VHS tape you know, sell it for $20 or, you know, put together a DVD, you know, that people are going to buy, you know, it's so, it's, it, it, it seems stupid to be sitting on all of that stuff when people would really, really enjoy seeing it. And, um, and there's, you know, that'd be great. It'd be great to think that there's a bunch of money to be made, but there's not. So yeah, there was a bunch of money that we spent, you know, to get it. And, uh, yeah, it just seemed like a, re- you know, really, really cool thing. And, uh, Yeah. That's what we do kind of ask for a donation. If you, if you can donate, if you, if you watch it, just, you know, to help, you know, for the web hosting and all the other bullshit, you know, that, you know, that you have to pay. I know all about that. <laughs> I did donate to your cause. Cause I, I thought it was super well, thank cool. You. I, I think that that that's awesome. And I, I guess for me, what I think is great is that, you know, not, again, not just from a, a money making standpoint or a commercial standpoint, but I mean, really, 
it is a part of history in the Seattle area. And what it's going to do is it's going to allow people from a different generation, actually multiple generations to see what was going on back in the day. And I think it's really cool. I, you know, I, I, <laughs> I popped on that, that site. And so the first thing I see was the ferry riot, um, <laughs> which was the first thing I checked out. And I was like, I had forgotten all about that. But I remember when it happened, uh, and you know, there was no social media. So, I mean, it was like the TV, the newspapers, the rocket, all these publications, the shit was everywhere. Um, I missed that, um, quite a bit, actually, you know, it's, it's not instantaneous as people had to think about the shit they said. Um, but you know, it just, it got me like super, super nostalgic. So I just, I thought that was, I thought that was really cool. And then it reminded me of also the fact that watching some of this stuff, you guys played at a bunch of small clubs that aren't around anymore. You guys did some shows at Natasha's here in Kitsap County, which, um, Natasha's is probably the most legendary, uh, I don't know if, that, if that's the right word to use, but, you know, in Bremerton, you know, Natasha's is the the fable of, you know, the, the club that it's like the old wives tale that your your grandpa would tell you or your grandma would tell you when you're a kid. And you always wondered if it was true. Was there really a Natasha's? And all the cool bands kind of came through there. The accused came through there, you know, creator went through there, you know, all kinds of punk bands and metal bands. And yeah, just and I, I love that that. uh that particular club. So I just, I think it's cool to watch some of these old shows that you guys did. That was that point in live music where there was just this hunger, you know, the the youth movement was so strong that, that, that kids would drive, you know, from Seattle. So Natasha's wasn't just like kids from Bremerton. I mean, kids from Tacoma and Seattle. I mean, the, the ferry would be packed for those shows. And it was like, it was a phenomenon that's never going to be, you know, I, I, Never, never, never say never, but I mean, that's, I mean, I don't know that people really can fully understand how, how driven, you know, kids were, you know, just for, for live music back then, you know, it was a lot, you know, crazy. It was crazy. Well, not only, yeah, it's crazy. And you bring up a good point because it wasn't just the fact that, you know, for us, it was a big deal because it was local, but bands came from all over the world and played there. I mean, you know, I, I mentioned creator, uh, you know, and I saw a creator with Morgoth and Blitzbeer and those guys are all from Germany, you know? And so that was a fantastic show there. And, you know, tons of other people come from all over, um, to see, to see this, the shows, like you said. So I just think that's, that's super awesome. It's cool that, uh, you know, you guys of course played there and, and all over in Seattle and, you know, uh, Kitsap County is definitely hungry, I think for, for those memories. So I'm super excited to be able to share those accused uh, archives with people. I just, I think that's going to be fucking awesome. So thanks for doing that because I think, I think we needed that, you know, the, it's cool to see what people are doing currently, but you know, going back and seeing the shit from back in the day, it's just, it's a, it's a whole other beast. And uh, you know, us old folks uh, really love to, uh, you know, tell the, when I was your age stories <laughs> about the concerts. Yeah, right. Uh, when I was your age, I saw so-and-so at Natasha's or I saw so-and-so at the off-ramp or I saw so-and-so at, you know, whatever, you know, the Ballard Firehouse or, you know, um, any other number of awesome clubs that are, uh, at Rock Candy, I think we talked about with, uh, Colin and Tony, which is a, a really cool place or the Phoenix Underground, you know? So those were, those were all really, really cool places that, uh, that I, I long for those days and, and sound like a 
crotchety old bastard when I when I talk about it, you know, shake my finger at the young kids and I, you don't know what a concert <laughs> is, you little motherfucker. <laughs> you haven't been to a concert unless you're standing right in front of the 300-pound guy with huge elbows who's, you know, jabbing you in the face with his spiked battle jacket. Um, <laughs> you know, that's a and who hasn't taken a shower in 4 months and probably yeah, had right. a swastika <laughs> on his forehead or something. <laughs> I what I liked about those shows too is I mean it was such a huge mix of crowds, right? It wasn't just I mean people would go to a concert just to go to a concert. They didn't even care who it was sometimes. You know, you'd see like you'd see the the metal guys there, the punk guys there, the kind of weird emo guys that you couldn't even categorize back in the time the guys with the crazy spikes and shit and the skinheads would show up sometimes and and it was just a crazy mess of whatever but it was uh the experience of seeing bands and that energy you just you can't i don't think it'll ever be we'll never recapture that at least you know uh not on the not on the club circuit yeah no 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 everybody's everything is so so genre specific now you know that's how everybody that's how you make yourself an individual now is, you know, you're doing, you know, anal rape, porn, black metal or whatever. I mean, I don't know. There's so Very much shit. Specific, I, yeah. yeah, I can't I can't keep up with it. Yeah, I can only play with other anal rape porn bands. I can't play with, you know, uh, a frontal rape porn band. It's got to be anal rape porn. Otherwise, we can't be friends. So uh, I've got one more listener question here uh, from Darren P. He says, I saw you guys in 91 or 92 at a place in Tacoma. Don't remember the name of the place, but it was by a bus station. There was a dude that jumped off the stage and broke his neck, and the show had to be stopped. Do you remember that concert? I got to be honest that happened more than once. Um, <laughs> I can't remember which place that might've been. That might've been the chainsaw. Uh, I think he said that you guys were playing with Wehrmacht and uh, I can't read my own writing for the second band. Um, but yeah, apparently uh, they had to stop the show. The guy got emergency roomed out by ambulance. And, uh, and then I guess a couple hours later, thing, things resumed. <laughs> Yeah, if it was with Vermock, that might have been at the, at the Crescent Ballroom or Legends or whatever. Yeah, we played played a couple of places where there was some uh, yeah um, stage diving stage diving gone bad. <laughs> Too many of these motherfuckers breaking their necks at accused shows. It just gets old after a while, guys. Knock it off. Come on. Knock it off. <laughs> yeah, break an arm. <laughs> yeah, break something different. Let us go on with the show. Uh, cool. Well, uh, now that we've, uh, kind of brought that back full circle, let's we'll talk a little bit about just some current stuff here. Now you've got, of course, Zippies, uh, which is, uh, quite well renowned in the Seattle area. You guys win all kinds of badass awards. What made you want to go into the food business? I mean, I know that you, you know, worked in it back in the day doing the Red Robin days, which I actually did some time in Red Robin as well back in the day. Um, but you know, what, what made you say, fuck it? I want to have my own joint. Um, I actually, for most of my adult life, I, I was a preschool teacher and, um, my last few gigs that I had, I'm <clears throat> working with kids. I worked, um, a federal, uh, federally funded program called Head Start, And, um, it, it just got to be so much of what, 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 what was required of me. It, it wasn't really what my interactions were with the children and their families. It was more like filling out paperwork. And um, that wasn't really what I was into. And then there also, you know, you'd run into some families. I mean, you had to be really, really careful 
um, you know, how you interacted with kids because people read a lot of stuff, you know, um, into your interactions that, that, you know, that aren't, that, that just aren't, 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 aren't real. And, um, sure. some of the programs I, I was working in, um, I was working with, you know, a l- lot of single mothers, um, you know, a lot of families that, you know, had, had didn't have, um, positive relationships with, uh, with men or positive relationships, um, with, uh, with, uh, white people. Um, and I just got, I got tired of, of just the, uh, of the paper trail. And, uh, that was about the time when I, uh, I got a, so I, I was done with that, got myself another job. I became a, uh, uh, I was a, uh, uh, an engineer in a, uh, uh, biodiesel plant is what I was doing, um, for a minute. And then, uh, we were doing a toe tag show and, um, as we were playing, it felt like somebody kicked me in the, uh, in the, uh, back of the leg, like about as fucking hard as they could. And I had a, uh, blew, blew my Achilles blew, uh, ruptured my Achilles tendon. So I was out, <clears throat> I was out that happened in the, in the springtime. I was, I was out like off my feet for about six months, went through, you know, big bout, big bout of depression. So I just wanted to open up my own business. So I was looking around for, uh, you know, businesses that I could buy, you know, t- turnkey, turnkey type of type of the deals. And, uh, there was a teriyaki shop that was, uh, not, not too far from our house, about a mile, mile down the road. And that was for sale. And, uh, talk, talk to the kid. It was being sold by this, uh, a Korean family and the, 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 uh, the parents, they didn't speak English. So I was dealing, dealing with the son and he, he was fucking done with teriyaki's man. I'm just fucking done with this shit. He said, you know what you should do? You should, uh, sell, you should sell burgers or sell sandwiches out of this place. So we decided to sell burgers and, um, that's kind of like when all the social media kind of stuff was first starting, you know, it was still my space was still, was still the deal. Yeah. But, uh, you know, people were starting to do like all these, uh, you know, community, you know, blogs, um, you know, um, and that's kind of like when the West Seattle blog started and, uh, I don't know, we just, we just started the business at just kind of like, like the right time. And, uh, yeah, it just, you know, it exploded. Um, it took, you know, if you're, um, have a restaurant, um, it takes many years before you actually, the person owns a restaurant really actually makes any money. (laughs) So, um, (laughs) and gets to not work in the restaurant. (laughs) Yeah. It took me 10, 10 years. So for, till I didn't have to work in the restaurant. Um, but yeah, so it, it was really tough. I mean, you know, it was, it was tough on my, uh, tough on my family. Um, you know, that was my, my daughter was kind of starting. She was in, uh, uh, middle school and, you know, going, going on into junior high. So I kind of, you know, I wasn't really there for her for, you know, a lot of those really, really important, that, that important time in her life. I was, you know, fortunate enough to be with her, you know, as she, as she was younger, um, you know, a lot of tension with, with my wife and myself, but, you know, um, we, we persevered and, um, yeah, we're, we're, we're still at it. This'll be, uh, May 1st, it'll be uh, 13 years that we've been going. And uh, yeah. yeah, yeah, we're still doing it. You know, I, I tried having a second location and uh, couldn't do it. Wasn't my thing because I was working down there and, you know, I'm working, you know, there's a lot, there's a lot of drug and, and alcohol abuse in the restaurant industry. And, uh, <laughs> you know, I just got tired of, you know, uh, 
cleaning up after people and having to cover their shifts and you know listen to the lies and it just got to be it's like you know, i'm treating you guys so good and you guys are just fucking lying to me and just fucking me over it's like i'm fucking done but uh, you know i'm fortunate enough you know that the spot we have now um you know we've got the guy that's our, our general manager um you know he's been working with us now for uh fuck eight or eight or nine eight or nine years and um you know he takes he takes he takes care of business um it might not always be the way that you know i would do it but he's handling it so that you know um you can't always have things you know totally 100 percent the way that you want them but um you know we got a solid right. business and uh yeah that's cool though you got a guy you trust he lets you have you know some some days and you don't have to go there all the time and and then you also do uh some like some youtube cooking stuff which i think is is super badass uh um so now that you were freed from the day-to-day -day grind of the restaurant stuff did you just miss it enough and you said you know what i like to cook let me do some different shit and have some fun with it pretty yeah pretty much yeah i started doing the uh doing just just the cocktail videos about a year ago <clears throat> yeah then i started i started doing the food um because I, I you know i'm uh, i just work uh you know, I, I just do shopping for the restaurant, a little bit of uh, administrative and a little bit of maintenance. And uh, but uh, yeah. And so my wife's been, you know, working from home for, you know, the past 14 months. So, you know, I do all the shopping and I do all the cooking and. Um, yeah, I just yeah, I was was digging, digging, doing the, uh, you know, uh, delving into the cocktails and then. Um, you know, really going down some different, different paths with, uh, with the cooking. Um, I think I've become, uh, I've become a better, a better cook, you know, um, definitely over the past year than I've ever was before. And, um, yeah. Yeah. You have a really cool setup. Actually. It's got great camera angles. You can see all the stuff getting made. The kitchen stuff is cool. I like your bar setup, which is funny. And it's, it's cool because, uh, you fucking run into the frame and it's just like watching you play a show. I mean, it's not just like, hey, I'm bland. I'm going to make you some drinks. It's like, Wah! you know, and you're fucking going crazy yeah. and having fun <laughs> with it. Uh, it's it's literally like watching you perform. Um, and, and so I, I kind of get that that same uh, that same sense out of that. So is that just kind of, do you treat that? You know, when you go on camera, you're like, I'm putting on a performance. It's not just about making drinks. It's about having an experience out of it. Totally, totally. Well, I'm the I'm the person that I am, you know. So, you know, I'm 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 having fun. That's why I'm doing it. You know, uh, if, yeah. I, I wish I was making money. I wish I had you know fifteen thousand subscribers. And each time I did a did a did a did a cocktail video, you know, I got you know thirty thousand views. That'd be fucking awesome, you know. But I'm I'm happy oh, with yeah. I'm happy with my with my twenty one with my twenty one views and my hundred and eighty subscribers to my channel. You know. Yeah. Hey, it, it's about the it's about the quality of content and those that want to tune in can tune in. So, well, obviously, I've sucked up an inordinate amount of your time uh, and, and we've we've talked about the modern stuff. We've talked about the old school history. Uh, you've kind of bringing it back, saying, hey, you, you've got some new stuff in the works. Is there anything that you want to plug or bring up before I uh, let you get back to your evening? Um, Just, you know, uh you know, unfortunately, we're not able to have an accused AD um, Facebook page anymore. But um, if you join, you know, uh, try to join the uh, uh, accused um, uh, lifeless zone uh, fan fa fan group there on Facebook. That's where we can, you know, um, talk about stuff that stuff that we're doing. Uh, we're going to be doing a uh, 
we're doing a fake fake live stream um, from the basement um, next weekend, and we're actually we're gonna have multi cameras. We're gonna do real sound, and we're gonna you know film it all next Saturday, and then release it like about you know in a, in a couple of two, two or three weeks. Um, yeah, just you know people. Yeah, um, just check that out. Um, like, subscribe, uh, join the uh, the Wicker Bar on YouTube. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, check out, yeah, check out that that, that the accused archive, you know, dot com. Whole 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 bunch of stuff on there. Some of some of it's good, some of it's not. But uh, yeah, well, make sure make sure that you guys donate to the cause. Help uh, help recoup some of these costs. Help contribute to keeping the history going. And, you know, make sure that you follow Blaine and all of his projects on all of the social media sites. Blaine, brother. Thank you so much for hanging out with me today. This has been awesome. I could talk your ear off for years and years and years and years and years, but you know, you'd, you'd die before I stopped talking. So uh, open door for you though. Anytime you want to come back on, uh, hopefully someday I can, I can see you in person. We can do this face to face and uh, have you back on the show and maybe I'll see you out there on the concert circuit sometime. Cool. Well, Hey, thank you, brother. This has been awesome. Thank you. And thanks, of course, to all of you for hanging out today on Misery Point Radio. Always appreciate your support. We're going to close this one out with a tune from the Accused AD from the album The Ghoul in the Mirror. Here's Juego Terminado. Game over, bitches. <laughs>